Amen. 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 Listen, before you're seated, turn around and wives, even if you have to speak this by faith, just tell your husband they look good today. And husbands, you better speak the truth. Tell your wife she's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And everybody else, just give each other a hug before you take a seat. It is so good to be in the house of God today. <laughs> yes, 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 Lord. Hey, listen, um, we had a phenomenal first service. It was just off the charts. Um, I just love this place. And before we go any further, I really want to honor your pastors, Pastor Brian and Crystal, just amazing people. We love them. My wife and I love them dearly. Uh, the first time I met Pastor Brian and Crystal, probably a few years ago, through a mutual friend, uh, Pastor Benny up in Las Vegas, and and I just felt connected to them, man, right away. They just they just ooze with the love of Jesus, right? They're just so genuine and humble and 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 just just the real deal. You guys are in good hands right here under this spiritual leadership. I mean, it's amazing. Matter of fact, I might join you. <laughs> I mean, come on. So it's just awesome. It's such a privilege to be here. And I, uh, I'm just going to prophesy and say I'm going to be a regular, uh, like, you know, once or twice a year. I'm coming through the church RC, even if I'm not invited. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so, so um, I'm just amazed, honestly. I'm really, and, and I know some of you think, oh, well, you got to say this kind of stuff because you're the guest. No, I really don't. Uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I, I say things that that I am really um, convicted by the Lord to say, and, and I just, I'm amazed at what's happening here at the Church RC. I guess you guys turn two years old in a couple of weeks, and my Jesus, look at what's happened in this church. A bunch of Jesus lovers like you guys under great leadership, and you're just going to impact not just the Roy City, but this whole region for Jesus, right? Amen. Come on, give it up for all that God is doing with you guys. Um, so I, I know uh, uh, just because we're kind of, well, I, I'm, I feel like I'm more heavily committed to you, but you're just kind of dating me because it's the first time you're seeing me. I'm like the guy that just fell in love right away, but... Uh, uh, you got to look at me a little bit and kind of feel me out, and you're not sure, and, you know, all that good stuff. But uh, Pastor Crystal said as she was introducing me, we are on this mission of winning a million souls to Jesus. And that all got started uh, about two years ago when I was in a city called Paida, and it was in northern Uganda on the Congo border. And... Um, we had, up until that point, the biggest crusade we'd ever had before. We had 60,000, over 60,000 people respond to the gospel. I was totally blown away. And my crusade director, I always tell him, I said, listen, I want you to pick places nobody's been. I want to go to the dangerous places because I'm from South Louisiana and I've been accused of not being all there, if you know what I'm saying. And so, so, uh, so I said, I want to go to the dangerous places. I want to go where literally people do not know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want to go bring the bread of life to people that don't know. They have no idea. They've never heard, literally. And so we go to this place, and on the last day of the crusade, my crusade director said, do you want to know why I picked this place? I said, yeah, Drake, tell me why you picked this place. 
He said, well, you know that river that we crossed? We, we had to cross this river that was part of the Nile. And um, it was one of the fingertips or whatever, you know, the little channels that run off the Nile. And uh, we crossed this river and then into a game reserve and then into the crusade site. He said, well, I picked this place because um, this is where Joseph Coney, the horrific warlord that slaughtered tens of thousands of people, this is where he used to have his headquarters. And I said, and you're just telling me this now? I mean, you don't want to let a brother know about this ahead of time. I mean, you know, maybe I could have fasted a couple of extra days or, you know. He said, well, I was afraid if I'd have told you ahead of time, you would have canceled. I said, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't cancel. I mean, I'm kind of like the more dangerous it is, the better. You know, although my wife may not agree with that. But, uh, but I said, man, I, I want to give it all because God gave it all for us. He held nothing back. And Paul says, my life is not my own. Literally, I've been bought at a price. So I want to spend the rest of my days giving everything I have back to the king who purchased me, right? So we go and we saw over 60,000 people where I was so broken by what I saw and the crowds and the harvest of souls coming to Jesus and all the pastors, the local pastors who could have easily reached this area but didn't because they were too afraid for their lives that they would get caught and, and, and killed. So... Uh, so all these pastors were afraid to cross over this river to do anything in this area, this big city. Needless to say, a bunch of churches got planted on the way home. I'm in the airplane, and I said, God, you've got to give me a vision. You've got to download, give me a blueprint, download a vision into my heart on how to reach more people in Africa, how to win more souls. What can we possibly do? Give me something that I can take to great pastors, Holy Ghost pastors, pastors that love you with all of their heart so that we can partner together. Pastors like Pastor Brian and Pastor Crystal and many others that we can partner together and make a difference on other continents and other nations for you. And it was then that the Lord spoke to me very clearly. If you win 50,000 or more people to Jesus in each crusade and you did six crusades a year, that would be 300,000 people in one year that you can win to Jesus, right? Six crusades times 50,000 or more, it's 300,000. At the end of 36 months, that's over 900,000 or a million people won to Jesus. And so if you follow me on, uh, on, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you, you see that I hashtag a lot about Mission 36-1 because I want it constantly in front of us to let everyone know we're making a difference for God all over the world. So as it stands right now, we are at 535,000 souls brought into the kingdom. Yeah. Amen. It's awesome. And you guys are a huge, huge part of that because, you know, Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 37 and 38, one man sows and another man reaps, but both men rejoice together at the harvest that's brought in. Right, So you save people locally, and you help us, and we'll save them globally. Amen? Together, we're going to rejoice at the harvest that's brought in. Matter of fact, I told the first service, one day you guys are going to be walking down those beautiful golden streets. And you're going to be jumping and dancing and rejoicing and just having the time of your life, right? And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to pull on your little shirt tail. And, and you're going to say, hey, hey, who are you? And they're going to say, you know, you don't, you don't know me, but... You know, because of your obedience to the Lord, because of your sacrificial giving, you gave to some crazy guy over in Dallas, Texas, that partnered with your church or whatever, and he was able to come and do a crusade in our village. And because of that, 
my whole family, aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and my whole village came to that crusade and we all surrendered our lives to Jesus. And from then on, we have never been the same again. Amen. And so I just wanted you to know, we are making a difference all around the world. We just had a crusade just a few months back in South Sudan, a war-torn area. I have a short video I want to show you just so that you can kind of get a glimpse of what we're doing overseas. Take a look at the video. Amen, amen. This is amazing. That last night, we had over 90,000 people at that crusade. It was just phenomenal. There was people everywhere behind the stage. Matter of fact, we couldn't even get to the stage. It was so packed. The whole city came out to see what was going on. And once they, you know, their curiosity, they're so curious, and they come and they stay and they hear the gospel and they see the power of God in, in, in action, and they all surrender their lives to Jesus. It was just amazing, incredible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14, and as you're doing that, let me go ahead and introduce the best part of our family. Uh, my gorgeous wife, hun, can you just uh, stand up and tell everybody hello, amen. And then my oldest daughter, Caitlin, she's 14, stand up, hun. And then Claire, she's 12. And then Caleb, he's eight, almost nine. <laughs> Claire just had a birthday, by the way, and she's still accepting gifts. Just for you know, throw that out there. So on this crusade, actually, um, kind of funny story. Um, I got home, and I was real sick. And I just thought, well, you know, I've just been traveling a lot, and, and, and my neighbor's a nurse. And she said, oh, you know, you, gotta, you got the flu. There's a flu bug going around. So I thought, okay, whatever, no big deal, right? So I just deal with it. So, like, I went to Wisconsin, I preached, I came home, and I was really in bad shape. So uh, fast forward five days after I got home from Wisconsin, about a week and a half after I got home from Africa, um, I told my wife on a Friday, I said, "Hun, I need some meds for the weekend. Like, I, I can't deal with this. I mean, I'm really hurting. And so she was doing what you women do best. She was shopping. And she had to pick out a, you know, she was at a, uh, there was a women's conference, and so she wanted to go make sure she was, you know, uh, dressed appropriately and whatever. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the excuses I always get, right? I don't have an outfit. Well, yeah, you don't have an outfit. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. So, uh, so I go to the doctor, right? And, and, and the doctor's doing all these kind of tests, and he's sticking stuff up my nose and down my throat. And I mean, I, like, I wanted to lay hands on somebody suddenly. It was not comfortable, right? And so, and so I, I, the doctor says, no, you don't, you don't have the flu. I said, what do you mean? I, he says, you don't have the flu. You have malaria. What? He said, uh, yeah, and you need to get to the hospital immediately. You need to go to the ER. You need to get blood work. You need to, we need to get you on meds. You know, your liver, your kidney, everything's failing. You need to, he said, you want me to call an ambulance? I said, no, man, they cost too much for that ride. I'm going to drive myself. So that's what I'm talking about, bro. I'm always thinking about the ministry, so I drove myself to the hospital. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I check in. In the meantime, uh, by this point, my wife had already been to the, or, or was at the women's conference. And so, uh, and so I'm texting my wife, honey, I'm, I'm in the hospital, room 512. No response. It's amazing. There's some kind of signal in the air that when your husband texts you, Somehow you never get it. Come on now. But when, when my kids text, she gets it right away. Oh, honey, hold on a second. Just be quiet. Let me. So I text again. Honey, I'm in the hospital room 512. Don't worry. Everything will be all right. You know, I just want you to know, you know, and no response. 
I said, uh-uh, we're going to have us a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> like the third time, finally she responds, Honey, I'm in a women's conference. I'm in worship. I'm trying to hear from Jesus. I'm trying to get a word for our family. Come on, leave me alone. I told you, don't ever joke about being sick. I said, no, 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 listen, I'm not joking. Like, I'm literally, I'm in the hospital. Whatever. I said, come on, man. So I had to take a selfie, you know, with needles in my arm, with the machine behind me, with the nurse behind her. What's up? I'm like, this ain't a happy moment. Get out of my selfie. <laughs> so, anyway, then she came running over, and, uh, you know, it was just funny, funny, funny. Things we do for the kingdom. It's it, you never, never a dull moment serving Jesus. Come on, never a dull moment serving Jesus. Amen. Go over with me to Luke chapter 14. Literally, in this, in this um, uh, when I was in the hospital, the, the doctor said, listen, I learned something I didn't know. Uh, mosquitoes carry four strands of the malaria virus, and she said, uh, you got the worst one. I said, listen, well, you better heal me up because I got to go. Uh, I'm going out of town next week. And she said, no, you're not going anywhere. And my wife said, there, preach, doctor, preach, tell him he ain't going anywhere. I said, no, no, I ha- I've got to go next week. No, you're not going anywhere. No, you don't understand. <laughs> like, I really, I have to go. But uh, four days, the doctor said, listen, my, they just had a, a another doctor doing research in the same area, not in Sudan, but in the same area uh, of where I was. And he came back and had malaria, and he was in the hospital for a month and a half. And God miraculously healed me four days. I was out back home. It really is amazing. Amazing. Luke, chapter 14. I want to dig into this in a little bit and, and, and kind of uh, park on this parable, this story here. Um, that Jesus is telling this crowd of people, and he's trying to emphasize how important it is to win souls, right? And so in Luke 9, chapter 1, we see the disciples. Jesus calls the 12 disciples. He, he's got a huddle, and, 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 and he says, guys, come up. Let me tell you what's going on. And he gives them power, and he gives them authority, and he gives them a plan of action. And he says, I want you to go out everywhere, and I want you to preach the gospel in every town and in every village that I myself am about to go to. So the disciples are like, man, we got this. This is good. Now, he entrusted something so precious to a bunch of renegades, literally. Peter wasn't even sanctified. I mean, after walking with Jesus for three years, he was still cussing at the end of Jesus' life. You ain't taking him. I'm going to cut your ear off and I'm going to cuss you out. I mean, the brother needed some sanctification, if you know what I'm saying. But, but nevertheless, I know you're thinking, hey, listen, Bernie, that's what the 12 disciples signed up for. That's, what they, that's, what they, that's why they left their fishing business, their wives, their kids, their families. Matthew left his tax collecting business. Like, they left to go follow Jesus. That's why God gave them power to do what they were called to do. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> because in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says that he called 70 others also. Just like he's called the church RC also. And he gave them power. And he gave them authority. And he gave them the same direction, the same guidelines to go and to preach the gospel everywhere in every town, every city, every village that he himself was about to go to. Matter of fact, the 70 came back rejoicing. And they said, man, we can't believe what we saw. It is amazing. You wouldn't believe it. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, I believe it. He said, I saw it. And then the scripture says that Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. Now, that must have been a sight to see. 
So then we go and we see Luke 11, 12, and 13, and the same thread of winning souls runs through the Gospels. And then Jesus parks here at Luke 14. And he starts in verse 1, and you don't have to turn there, but let me just kind of give you a synopsis. Uh, The Pharisees, the religious police, if you will, they came and they said, okay, listen, we know that you can do all things. We know that you can walk on water. We know that, that you fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with two fish and five loaves of bread. Like, we know that you're a bad dude. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. You make the mute speak. You open up blind eyes. You open up deaf ears. You heal paralytics. You forgive prostitutes. Like, we know, Jesus, you're bad. But we got something for you. They said to him, they said, listen, the Mosaic law, which we all follow, says that nobody can do anything on the Sabbath. We can't do anything. There's no work to be done on the Sabbath. So is it right to heal? And they're all standing back, right? They're like twiddling their fingers. They can't wait because they're going to catch Jesus in a lie. They're going to catch him. They're going to trick him. They laid out this pit. He's going to walk right into it. And Jesus turns the table on them as if he didn't know their motives. He says, let me ask you a question. Which one of you guys has a donkey or an ox or a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, which one of you doesn't reach down and grab that sheep or donkey or an ox of yours and lift it out of the, Sabbath, lift it out of the pit on the Sabbath? And all of them raise their hand. Yeah, we've, we've done that. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yeah, we've done it all. And then Jesus said, isn't a man's life worth so much more than your donkey? Isn't a man's life worth so much more than your sheep or your goat or your ox? And that's when he healed the man with the withered hand, and he came out. Amazing. So then he continues the parable by telling everyone about wedding etiquette. And then we pick it up in verse 16. Jesus says, a certain man, this is God. He's given a, a painting a picture for people to see during this parable. He says, a certain man gave a great supper. Jesus does everything on grand scales. That's why you're two years old and look at you. You don't serve a small God. You don't serve some weak, nimble, weak need. He's worried about what the devil's doing kind of God. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He flung the stars into their socket. He commanded the sun to shine. Job said he commanded the ocean to stop at this point. Go no farther unless I say it. He is bad. He is God. He is big. And he throws a great supper, verse 16. And he invited many people. Many people are invited to the house of God. Many people. Watch. Verse 17, he sent out his servant. This would be Pastor Brian. He sent out his servant at supper time. Okay, now watch. He sends out his servant at supper to say to all of those who are invited, come. You guys got to come, man. Come. For all things are now ready. Verse 18 gets a little funny here. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. Can you imagine? Now, they just highlight three excuses, but there's a crowd of people, and they all are making excuses. They don't want to go to the master's house. They got better things to do, like watch the cowboys. Oops, sorry. My bad. I didn't just say that. By the way, LSU, come on, somebody. Thanks for that two claps over there. Amen. (laughs) 
Everybody else is like, just move along. So, so they all began to make excuses, right? And let's highlight the first three excuses. Verse 18, the first guy says, listen, I, I bought a piece of, of ground. I, I bought a field. I bought a piece of ground. I got to go and see it. Really? Okay. The second guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen, so I, I got to go test them out. I'm, I'm just going to ask that you have me excused as well. And then another guy. The third guy, he kind of laughs, says, you know what, the first two excuses, I'm going to give it to you, Pastor Brian. The first two those guys, kind of lame. Yeah, those excuses were kind of lame. But my excuse is the best of all. He says, he took a page out of Adam's playbook, the third guy, and he says, um, I just got married. He blames his wife. I just got married. I got to go see and, 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 and be with her and minister. She's been, you know, working all day, and, and I just want to make sure that I take care of her, and, and, you know, we're just newlyweds and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm going to go take care of her. And the servant says to all three of them or to the crowd, See, you guys don't understand. You have no idea. You don't know what I know. You see, I've seen what the master's prepared for you. I know what's behind the door. I understand. You have no idea what you're saying no to. I see what's, what, what the master has done and what he's planned at the banqueting table. I know that he's going to be serving up healing for you. I know that he's going to be serving up restoration for you. I know that he's going to be serving up blessing for you. I see what you don't see, relationships and joy and peace. It's all going to be there at the master's house. You don't understand. Salvation power is going to be there. Deliverance from your fear and from anxiety and from all the things that you deal with. I know what you don't know. You can't say no to the master. And sure enough, they all look. They look at one another and say, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, ironically, as I dug deep into this, I realized that the Jewish scholars actually said that these excuses were not just excuses. They were actually insulting. For instance, who buys land without first going to see it? It's not like they just jumped on a realtor.com and said, that's the land I want right there. Right? Of course the dude already saw the land that he bought. Who buys five yoke of oxen without first seeing them or testing them to make sure that they can accomplish the very thing that he's buying them for? You don't buy a car without test driving it first, huh? And then the third guy. I mean, really, really bad. The third guy, the servant's like, hey, don't you want to start your marriage off in the house of God? Isn't there no better place than to start your marriage off with the author of life? Don't you think it's a good idea? And the guy's like, yeah, but mm, uh, he's full of grace and mercy. I'll catch him next Sunday. You see, let me give you a little golden nugget here. The scripture says that when you give, It'll be given back to you. Just like Pastor Brian referenced, uh, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, be put into your bosom. You know, Isaiah said that the word of God will go forth and it will accomplish the very thing for which God sends it forth to accomplish. What am I saying? I'm saying this. What happens over time when you give to God, when you obey and you give, God gives back to you. It's a principle. He gives back to you. And so what happens is he, his blessing on your life turns into big fields and more oxen and more farming and more equipment and more businesses. But that blessing can easily turn into a curse the moment it takes you away from him. 
Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Don't let the blessing of God turn into a curse because it's taking you far away from God. So the servant, totally beside himself, he runs back to the master, scratching his head, thinking, what did I do wrong? Maybe I didn't sell it enough. Maybe I didn't emphasize how amazing this party's going to be. Maybe I should have told them that the church RC worship band, which, by the way, is phenomenal. You guys did a great job, is going to be here leading worship along with Jesus Culture and Hillsong and Bethel and everyone else. And Pastor Brian's going to be speaking at the Master's Supper. Not really. I mean, but, you know, I mean, maybe I just didn't tell people how amazing it's going to be. So he's confused, and he goes back, and he talks to the master, and he says, Master, I'm sorry, but all those people on the VIP list, all those people that you told me to invite, I invited all of them, and I really did my best to sell it, and I really urged them to come, and they said no. The master, here's where it gets interesting. The master gets angry. Verse 21, that word angry actually means enraged. You don't want God to be angry, right? Because he had given his best. And so what happens, verse 21, he comes back to the master. The master of the house becomes angry. And he says to the servant, go out quickly. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to second guess yourself. I want you to go out quickly. I want you to go right now. Don't wait another moment. And then he says this to the servant. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here. And he actually names or describes the people that he once brought into his house. Check this out. He says, I want you to bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind And if I can elaborate, the broken and the bruised and the hurting and the addict and those filled with lust and those that are in despair and those that are in trouble and those that are sick, I want you to bring in all those people that the world has written off and the the church has forgotten about and no one has rescued. I want you to bring them in and tell them they can come as they are. They don't need to dress up. They don't need to put on their church clothes on. I mean, they just, just come dirty and rotten and and ragged out. I want them to come into my house and I want them to know that there's a seat right next to the master. I want them to know they're invited to my house. So the servant says, easy, I can do that. And he runs out and he runs all over Royce City and all over Rockwall and all over Rowlett and all over this whole region. And he comes back and he says, master, watch this. Verse 22, he says, master, it is done. You've commanded. But look at that last little phrase there. There's still room. There's still room. You look around, and I just wanted you to know this morning, there's still room. There's still some empty seats. There's still some empty seats at the church RC for people to come, hurting and broken and bruised. There's still room for people to come into the house of God. There's still room for your friends and loved ones, for your coworkers, your neighbors, soccer moms and golf dads. There's still room in this house. Hunters alike, come. There's still room. you got to understand. You're invited to the master's house. Can I, 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 when I was writing this down, this, this story, I thought about something. 
Ironically enough, you know the most important person at a wedding? The most important person at a wedding or before a wedding is the mailman. Because he's the one that holds the invitation. From the person getting married to the person invited to the wedding. And God has entrusted you to be a Holy Ghost mailman. You have an invitation to tell people the greatest news of all. They're invited to the banquet. They're inviting to the marriage supper of the land. They're invited to sit at his table. They're invited to go to his house where his presence is abundant. His glory will be seen. They're invited where there'll be no lack of anything. They are invited. He's entrusted you with the invitation to tell this entire region that they are invited. So the servant, right, the servant goes, and he comes back, and he, the servant makes this brilliant observation. He says, man, there's, there's still room. And the master says, well done. You're right. There's still room. And listen, listen to what the master says, and then we'll wrap this up. Verse 23, the master says, to the servant, Pastor Brian's done a great job of playing the servant in this case. He says, go out to the highways, into the hedges. This is symbolic. The first place was the streets and the lanes of the city. This is the country. Go to where nobody else wants to go. Go to the hidden places, the highways and hedges, the highways and byways. Go into the country and let them also know that they're invited. Compel them. He uses the word compel. It's the same word that Paul the apostle used when he said it's the love of Christ that compels us to keep going. It's the love of Christ that compels us to keep doing, uh, keep planning missionary, uh, keep planning churches and going on missionary journeys. It's the love of Christ that compels us to keep letting people know that they're invited. It's the love of Christ inside of us that compels us to keep pushing the envelope, even though I've been beaten by the Jews five times. I've received uh, 39 stripes, five to 195 lashes on my back. I've been shipwrecked and stoned, not Colorado speaking stone. I've been messed up and broken and hurting and battered and bruised and one time left for dead. But it's the love of Christ inside that keeps me going. It's the love of Christ that keeps, that keeps me going. Because I hear the heart of God saying, go tell somebody about Jesus. And so he says to the, verse 23, he says to the servant, go out, compel them to come in. And then he says, you want to know why? You want to know why? You want to know my mission statement? You want to know my vision for the world? You want to know why I'm sending you out for the third time? Put that verse back up on the scripture, uh, on the screen. I want you to know that when it's all said and done, I want my house to be filled. I want my house to be filled with people. At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at thechurchrc.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Church RC. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, you can email us at amen at thechurchrc.com.